morning, um, we're, we're, we're looking at the issue of discipleship, um, that our mission is to be and to make disciples. But before I do that, I wanted just to do a little review, just um, to help reinforce where we've come from. As we've been talking about this, the church's vision statement, and just to show how the last three sermons have been about just trying to um, help define, help uh, give some language to what we mean by this vision statement. And so when we talk about our vision, it's, it's what do we, we seek? What do we aspire to be as a church? What, what is our, um, our goal? And, and that goal is, is to be a faithful healthy and spirit-filled church. And and go on to the next slide. That's where the sermons have been. Promoting the kingdom of God and making it visible in our lives and throughout the greater Cincinnati area. Over The first um, uh, sermon on on the vision statement was about what does it mean to make make the kingdom of God visible in our lives? And one of the things that I wanted to highlight um, is that this is something that we want to do both as individuals and a church, make the kingdom of God visible. From Romans 14, 18, we learn that the kingdom is a supernatural community. It is a realm generated by the Holy Spirit. It is a realm in which Christ reigns. So by and large, when we're talking about the kingdom of God, We're talking about a kingdom um, that is in some sense already here. But for the most part, it is invisible to the eye. It's not a a national kingdom. It's not a political kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom where Christ reigns. So it's already here as it's operating the lives of those who have submitted themselves to King Jesus. But we also um, understand that that kingdom will one day be in the earth on a renewed uh, heavens and, and a new earth in its power, in its fullness, and in its glory. We refer to that coming kingdom as the consummated kingdom. But even in the present, what does that look like now? Well, that was the first sermon from Romans 14, that this is a kingdom of righteousness, where the, the, the righteousness of the Lord is at work, where it's a kingdom of peace, peace with God, peace with one another, a kingdom of joy in the Holy Spirit, that we continue to rejoice even now. As we, we, and it's a supernatural joy because in the world, Jesus tells us, you will have pain, <laughs> you will have tribulations, you will have trials. Uh, but nevertheless, one of the fruits, the supernatural fruit of the Spirit is joy, and, and that's what is to help characterize the visible kingdom. And then in the second and third weeks, we, we went back on, on that statement, where, that very first phrase, promoting the kingdom of God. And what I was hoping to show you, that just using that idea of promoting the kingdom in a broad, uh, from a broad perspective, and in large part, I was hoping to show you too that that when we're talking about promoting the kingdom, there are lots of ways to do this without engaging in direct evangelism, you know, um, you know, sitting down with somebody and working through a gospel presentation. And, and what I wanted to show you is that this, the Bible shows us, the New Testament shows us that part of promoting the kingdom, we can do this especially through our prayers, prayers being the engine that drives uh, the kingdom. Uh, we do this through our praise, 
praises, uh, as we gather together, as we worship the Lord, the presence of the Lord is in our midst, and it serves as a witness to the surrounding world. And then last week was we promote the kingdom just through our deeds. And sometimes those deeds can be done, and, and, and sometimes we're encouraged to actually do the deeds without words, uh, assuming that the Lord will bring someone else to proclaim the needed word to those individuals. Um, but there are lots of ways in which we as a body then can be salt and light, that we can be a corporate witness and, and individually a witness. So that's where we've come in terms of what does it mean, at least from ECC standpoint, to promote the kingdom and making it visible in our lives and throughout the greater Cincinnati area, and, and again, one of the, the discerning uh, uh, things that I think the Lord has shown us as a, an, uh, as a body of elders is that our horizon is not just the community where our church is located. We want to be a blessing to our community, for sure. Uh, just um, uh, a week ago, um, we did the donut drive through for our friends and neighbors at Mount Healthy North Elementary. We want to bless them. Uh, we want to be a blessing to our whole community. But the horizon of our ministry is going to be wherever we live. <laughs> the church is the people. Where the people live, that's where the church is. That's where we want to be involved in ministry, wherever our people are. So that is the greater Cincinnati area. And one of the, the priorities of the church is not just to be about the church. There is a sense in which the kingdom is beyond the local church. There is a sense in, in some cases where we are promoting the kingdom and it will have no benefit or little benefit or no foreseeable benefit for this church. And that's okay. That's okay. We are called to serve the king. And and in many cases, serving the king means promoting the king's interests when it doesn't necessarily benefit us. And so we want to, to have that kingdom focus as we go forward. Well, today I'm zeroing in on our mission. If you go to that slide. What is it we seek to do? What, what is it that, that's in some ways at the heart of what we're doing, you know, week by week, um, uh, Sunday by Sunday, uh, and then in between? Well, what we seek to do is this, following Jesus. That's our commitment. That's a way of our saying we're committed to discipleship. We're committed to making disciples, being and making disciples, following Jesus. How? By loving God loving one another, and serving the world. And so that's where this sermon's going to go, is this direct, you know, very clear uh, purpose that, that the Lord Christ gives to the church. And this is something, especially the, the, the going and making disciples, well, this is something that only the church can do. A lot of people can do like good deeds and, and, and help the poor and serve and, and be concerned about um, uh, widows and orphans, so to speak. Um, and we want to be about that. But there are a lot of you know, non-churches that can also be doing those kinds of activities. But making disciples of Jesus Christ is something that is uniquely given to the church. And so if we fail on this point, you see, we fail. 
And so if we're, we're becoming more and more focused in terms of what the mission of the church is, the mission of the church is focused in on, it zeroes in on the uh, making of disciples. So with that, uh, you won't be surprised. We are going to be reading from the Matthew 28, and I'm just going to back it up to verse 16 through verse 20. Would you stand for the reading and the hearing of the word of God? Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to, to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? O Lord our God, how majestic is your name. And we come now before you to hear your word. And so we ask that according to your marvelous grace, that you would grant understanding and faith to our hearts and to our minds by your spirit. We ask this not because we are deserving, but for the sake of your great name. Amen. You may be seated. There are lots of commandments that Jesus gave to his disciples um, that come to the church, but there's something about these, these last words, uh, words that we, we give the title, uh, the Great Commission to. And there's good reason why uh, historically um, Christians and churches have found special relevance in this particular command that Jesus gives to his disciples The words of the Great Commission are some of the last recorded words that we have from the lips of Jesus prior to his ascension into heaven. And more than this, we're told right away in verse 16, which is partly why I wanted to go back, is is this, this little detail that Jesus calls his disciples to the north. He's not going to meet with them, you know, where they are around Jerusalem, but he wants them to travel north to a special location. He wants them to travel and to meet with him on top. He wants them to go on a day hike. He, he wants them to meet with him on top of a mountain. And mountains are places of importance uh, in scriptural, in the ancient world. Mountains are places where um, individuals uh, climb uh, to do business with God. And, and, and it's not just true in, in terms of Israelite culture. Uh, this was true kind of the ancient world in general. So, you, for instance, in the Greek world, where do the gods uh, live? Well, they live on Mount Olympus. Um, similarly, you have uh, the temple is built on a kind of mountain. We would not refer to it as a mountain, you know, in terms of our scientific standards, but it was considered Mount Zion. You know, this is uh, the, the temple is, is on a, a mountain. And so this is what Jesus, he, he, he's um, 
he's calling them to this unique location to bring emphasis to these words. I mean, and think about where is it that Moses goes to receive the Ten Commandments? He's on top of a mountain. And so you see some of this dynamic being emphasized just in terms of this mountain location. And this is where we're given the main mission of the church. And that main mission is go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. So just beginning with go, and and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the go because I plan to come back to this next week. Um, So just a, a couple of comments. It used to be, uh, in America, that there was a, a common cultural respect for Christian churches and Christianity. And especially following World War II, um, some refer to that as the builder generation, um, there was a sense with the, uh, the growth of the suburbs um, and, and the growth of new neighborhoods um, that you could build churches you could just simply, you know, bring in an evangelist or, or just, you know, have these seasonal evangelistic um, programs and people would come. They would show up. You could have Billy Graham come to your city and people would just show up. And so part of, you know, in, in that period of, uh, of, of our history in the 20th century, um, the 40s and the 50s especially, um, there was just this sense even of people who weren't attending church, that there would come these, these certain uh, trigger points in their lives where they would, it would just like, oh yeah, I know, I need to be in a church. You know, some of those trigger points would be um, you get married, you have kids, and, and then when you have kids, you're like, oh yeah, I definitely need help. I need to be in a church. And there was just this kind of cultural sensibility that, that, that where you go when you encounter uh, challenges in your life uh, would be, oh, I got to get back to what I know I ought to already be doing. And so part of their evangelistic strategy was just you build a church, you build it, and they will come. Well, guess what? That is not the world we live in today. Okay, that's not the world we live in today. And so when we... we so part of our challenge is to recognize, to become uh, increasingly self-aware that the church really is living in a kind of a, a missions um, uh, culture. We, we're living increasingly, not just in a, well, it is a post-Christian culture, but it's a culture that in some sense is harder than the culture in which the early church was seeking to penetrate with the good news of Jesus. Because our culture is, in some sense, they've been inoculated with just enough Christianity to feel like they know what it's about. They, they have just enough to know, and, and they're also fed, I think, a caricature uh, from surrounding media to, to make what they know exaggerated. And so we're entering into a culture that is increasingly antagonistic, it's not just neutral. It's, it's, it's hardened to the claims of Christ and to the claims of the gospel. And so this requires of, of the Christian church that we just completely have to um, rethink how we go about reaching the surrounding world. 
And it's, it's very challenging, and, um, and we'll come back to this next week in terms of this need to think intentionally uh, about forming relationships, seeking ways to be a blessing, to enter into spiritual conversations with unchurched, with non-believers. This is the most, um, I think, the most difficult challenge that the church faces today, is the going <laughs> into the world around us. But the going is not the end of the Great Commission. Even if we were successful in, in um, taking the gospel effectively into the world around us, um, simply getting people to gather in churches would still not be the achievement of the Great Commission. Because the Great Commission is to make not just simply converts, it's not just simply church members that, that we're interested in. It's not just people who know a lot about the Bible, who, who know, you know, the Sunday school curriculum well. Um, it's not just those who are knowledgeable about Christianity. That, that's not what we mean by disciples. We are looking uh, to make um, uh, genuine Christ-like followers of Jesus. So this brings us to the question, what is a disciple? So what is it? What's the aim? Well, in biblical times, the most promising students, um, as children, uh, almost all the children would have been raised being taught the law of Moses. Um, as they would uh, grow older, they would also be taught uh, the wisdom uh, uh, literature. They would be taught the prophets. And at around age 18, you would have a group of potential candidates who could become disciples of a rabbi. And among those potential candidates, only a handful, a few, would be chosen, and and they would um, petition to be made a disciple of a particular rabbi. And if accepted by that rabbi, then they would essentially um, live with that person. They would follow that person, and they would be expected um, to, to, in a sense, imbibe the person of that rabbi. They, they would be expected to um, uh, affirm with the authority of what that, that particular um, teaching of the rabbi, so that they would become, in a sense, a little, um, a, a little rabbi. They would be a mini-me of that rabbi, and this would have a tremendous uh, impact on the future, both in terms of the rabbi selected, because that's the, the orientation you are go- you're expected to adopt. And in terms of the future, that disciple has to also then be ready to pass on what he learns to the next generation. And so this was a very privileged few that were selected to be a follower of a rabbi. Promising students uh, would be mentored by this rabbi. The rabbi might even say something like, uh, in terms of the, the, the choosing, come, follow me. And so they would be expected to submit themselves, the students, to the the rabbi uh, in almost every way. And this is what Jesus does with his disciples when he declares things like, um, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Or in Luke 9, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus, when he's looking for disciples, is not just simply looking for, you know, these kind of loose converts, those who just, you know, 
are in agreement with, with what Jesus is teaching. No, he's looking for a disciple that would come after him and be willing, in some sense, to, to say, my life is over in order to, to um, uh, count the cost and to be received as a disciple of the rabbi Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about um, the Christian gospel, the Christian invitation to discipleship, to become a follower of Jesus, is that this is an open invitation. This is not just for those select, gifted individuals. But if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, this is a privilege for all people, old, young, male, female, no matter you know, where you're coming from in life. This is something we take for granted, or worse, we might even grumble and complain about, when in reality, this invitation to discipleship, though it, it requires a cost, is a tremendous privilege. And when it comes to Christian discipleship uh, that is being made into a follower of Jesus, there's a specific context in which this disciple-making process is best accomplished. This, so some of you are like, yes, I, I don't want to just, you know, uh, be a convert. I want to be a genuine follower. I want to be a, a disciple, Someone who is counting the cost, who's taking up my cross daily in order to follow uh, the master, to follow Jesus. But how do we do this? What's the best? Is there wisdom on how we are able to grow as disciples? Well, discipleship is meant, the best place is in the context of the church. We, We can already see this with the Great Commission itself. Notice that the methods of the Great Commission are churchly. They're churchly. Well, what I mean, it starts with something that would not make sense uh, to any college, you know, a college training students for some career path. Why? Because it begins with baptizing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There are specifically these churchly uh, methods by which God takes individuals and he makes them, he causes them to become disciples, growing, mature, um, imitators, mini-me's of Jesus in the world. That's what the aim is. And it begins with baptism. It begins with a church sacrament that only is meant to take place within the context of local bodies of Christ. And then we think of another method that would quickly connect to baptism, the Lord's Supper, which we also understand is one of a a chief method by which we are being conformed into the image of Jesus as means of grace. Well, these are churchly methods. And it's not just to teach them You know, it's not just to uh, equip them with knowledge in the Great Commission. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 8, by the way, that, you know, be careful about knowledge. Knowledge on its own leads to pride. Or the way Paul puts it, knowledge puffeth up. (laughs) The old King James. Knowledge puffeth up. That's what knowledge does, if it's just simple knowledge. But the Great Commission is not just about knowledge. It's about um, conforming ourselves to Christ. So that's why it says, teaching them what? To what? Obey. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
What Christ is after are those whose lives are being shaped. He's after those who are walking uh, with Christ, not just on Sunday morning, not just in an academic manner, but are actually practicing the, the love, the character, the, the, the practices of their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is meant um, to take place within the church. This point about the importance of the church, the church being the expected context, the assumed context for disciple-making uh, uh, is, is made more explicit in a place like Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. This whole chapter is uh, about the building of the body of Christ. So I'm only seizing on a few verses here. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he, um, uh, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, that's a mouthful. Christ has given gifts. Now, I'm sure there are lots of gifts that we would like, you know, a house, a new Lamborghini, whatever. That's not the gifts he's talking about here. He gave gifts. He gave individuals who were uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to fulfill certain roles, to fulfill certain offices, and they're very churchly in their orientation. Apostles, um, uh, evangelists, pastors, shepherds, uh, that's where the shepherd, pastors, and teachers, and so forth. Why? Specifically, not for their own good. It's not for their own sake. It's so that the body, and by the way, the body of Christ, is just another way of referring to a church. The body of Christ, these local churches under local leaders, can be practically equipped so that they can be brought to maturity. Okay? Disciples do not happen by osmosis. Disciples don't just happen uh, by coincidence. It's not just this random outcome. Disciples are made. Disciples are caused. And they are caused best within a certain context. Okay, so think of it in another direction. Think about children. Is it enough in order for a child to become a human being, a, a mature, responsible character-filled human being, is it enough for them to simply be taken, you know, from their mom, from their dad, and put into, you know, think the old-style orphanage, kind of the the kind that Dickens describes, um, and just make sure they have food, make sure they have clothes, and, 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 and that sort of thing. Is that enough for a baby to become this responsible, contributing, mature uh, human being. No, what's the best context for these babies? Well, it's a family, isn't it? Ideally with a mom and a dad who love them, who are engaged and involved in their lives, who are imparting to them and equipping them 
uh, for their future. That's what, so we can see with the child that the best context is a certain context. Not any context will do. And it's the same with a follower of Jesus. The most important thing you can do just right away is to be connected then to the local church. And then this brings us to our church mission statement once again, following Jesus. That's our our emphasis on being and making disciples. And our mission statement gives us three kind of important phrases for how we as a local church want to go about helping move individuals from kind of a a spiritually, you know, an infant status, a new Christian, to um, a Christian who is trained, who is equipped, who is beginning to look like Christ. Well, what does that process look like? Well, it begins by loving God. The church must equip and, and train people to love God. And at the heart of that training is the commitment of every member, of every Christian, really, to weekly gathered worship. You know, there's certain things that you can do that will take you a long way. And then there's small things that'll take you only a small way. The thing that will take you the furthest is your commitment to a local church and your commitment, even when you're dead tired, you you were up late the night before, you you just, it's the last thing you want to do is go through the effort. Is you get up and you meet and you gather. Because not only in worship are you vertically being connected to the Lord, you're being trained about who the Lord is. And hopefully you're being trained by people who themselves have been trained um, so that you can trust what is being taught. You can trust what is being imparted, but you're being connected to the Lord vertically, but you're also being horizontally connected with one another. In worship, we, we exercise our spiritual muscles. We exercise our prayer muscles. We exercise our praise muscles. We exercise our listening, our attentive uh, muscles as we're listening to the word of God. We're, we're, we're exercising our, our relational muscles as we do this as a body, as we do this together. So much good happens if you just make this one priority in your life, weekly gathered worship. Now, of course, this is not the only way that a person is trained to love God. No, of course not. But I'm just saying that in terms of, if you look at our mission statement, we're saying um, following Jesus, how? First thing, commitment to weekly worship. And then the second thing is loving one another. So following Jesus by loving God, and then secondly, loving one another. We learn to follow Jesus as we increase in our mutual affection for one another. Now, this is an emphasis on us first um, to love each other's brothers and sisters in Jesus. It doesn't end there. We're also called to love the world. But listen to this passage from Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds. See, God just hasn't left us on this kind of one-on-one, you know, on an island with just me and God. No, the Lord expects us to be rubbing shoulders with other followers of Jesus. And as we're rubbing shoulders with against one another, we're strengthening, hopefully. Sometimes we're rubbing each other a little raw. But hopefully it's an iron sharpening iron process. 
where we are stirring up one another to love and good deeds. And even in, in the New Testament period, apparently, there were people who were like, you know, it's just too hard to get together. Because he continues by writing, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. God bless you. You are exercising your spiritual muscles just by being here. Or if you're watching online, by, by being connected to us that way. Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That is the day of judgment. Perhaps the day of our death. Encouraging one another to draw near to the Lord. To put off our sinful ways. To be mutually strengthened in, in, the, in the spirit. Now, one of the things that we want to emphasize under this piece about loving one another, it's this. If you're, so you just heard me say, make your priority, be here, you know, be in worship every week. But let me back up and just say this. If that's the only thing you're doing, <laughs> there's going to come a point. I mean, I think that's really good, but there's going to come a point where you're going to realize inside that you're not, you're not doing as well as you could be. You, you are stagnant, probably, in some way. And this is where this loving one another, we're telling you, if you want to follow Christ, commit to worship, and then the next thing is commit to some small group. Commit to, a, in our, our church, the thing we really want to encourage you to do is community groups. Community groups is a, a biweekly uh, small group through the school year in which we are gathering in people's homes. We're sharing part of our lives. We're praying for each other. And often you're, you're, you're going through uh, what was preached uh, either the week or two weeks prior. And so this offers an opportunity in a smaller group to get to know others and to be known in a more intimate way. And this allows people to be able to pray specifically for one another and to encourage each other in a specific way because we're sharing um, our lives increasingly with one another. And I'll say this too. One of the things that encourages me, and it's a byproduct of the community groups, is I'll be calling somebody and I'll think, oh, I know I should have called them like yesterday. And so I'm, I'm, I'm calling them like, oh, I, I want to just know how you're doing, how I can be praying for you. And this has happened on more than one occasion where someone will say, uh, Pastor, I just want you to know people are bringing me meals. They're calling me. They're offering me rides. I don't even need the rides, but they're offering them anyway. And, and my community group has just come around me in the most special way through it's often a surgery or perhaps it's a loss of some kind. But those community groups have proven to be the source of real material encouragement and support. So there's great blessing, and I do want to encourage the community groups. So if you're worshiping and then you're involved in a community group, you're on your road to being a, a growing disciple of Jesus. And then there's a third piece that we want to emphasize, serving the world, serving the world. Now, that's a catch-all phrase. <laughs> the, the serving is to, to be involved in not just uh, worship and not just in a community group, but in some element of service. It could be within the church. It could be, you know, serving as a leader, serving as an officer, as a Sunday school teacher, an office volunteer, working with facilities in our worship um, area. Those are all internal ways in which you can serve. 
But we would also encourage you to consider ways that are reaching out in terms of your service engagement. And so if you are doing those three things, you're loving God, especially in worship, loving one another, especially in those midweek gatherings, and then serving the world in some form of Christian service. We think there's a high high likelihood that you, it's almost, it's very difficult not to be growing when you are involved in those three areas consistently. That you, and that's how we believe we are following Jesus as a church and hopefully being equipping you. Now, and, and just one last point. This process of becoming a follower of Jesus, you should not view this as easy. You should view this as painful at points. It's like becoming an athlete. Just because you know, you're able to go out on a soccer field and kick a ball around does not make you an athlete. In order to be a good athlete, you have to take pains. You have to go through practice. You have to experience training. You have to come uh, often under the, the, uh, the leadership of a coach that you may or may not always appreciate. It's sometimes painful. And that's, I think, what we're to expect uh, with becoming a follower of Jesus. Follower of Jesus is not just something that happens. It is something that is caused. It is caused. And so that's why you want to put yourself in these environments where you are being caused. And as a church, we want to reach out into our surrounding community so that the world around us is being caused in terms of being made disciples of Jesus. Again, let me just close with this basic sentence. There are a lot of things that the church can do that serves as a blessing to the surrounding world. There are things that are blessings. There are things that I would put in the realm of outreach, And then there are things that are direct evangelism and discipleship. However, if we fail to do this one thing, if we are failing at making disciples of Christ, then flat out, we fail. We fail. May each of us be committed to both being and making disciples. Well, let's pray. Our God and our Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful, Lord, that you do not want us to just remain spiritual infants, but you want to take the pains that we need in order to grow up, to become spiritually alive and flourishing and mature in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work in and through us, us as a church, us as individuals, that, Lord, we would reflect Christ wherever we go, and it would all be for your glory. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.